Hey everybody and welcome to Well Said, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's podcast where we talk with students, faculty, and staff about what's going on on campus and around the world. And today we're talking about the upcoming Carolina Jazz Festival with Jim Ketch, professor of music and director of jazz studies at Carolina. This year's Jazz Festival, which will be held from February 15th to 18th, is the 40th anniversary of the festival. So let's start out today by backtracking four decades. And how did you come up with this idea to have a jazz festival at Carolina? What made you want to bring a festival like this to Chapel Hill? Well, I I was a newly hired faculty member. I was probably, uh, I guess, about 24 or 25 years of age. And I was in charge with, at that time, we had a jazz band in the department and one course called Introduction to Jazz History. So clearly, I felt like I was given the reins of the, uh, you know, the horse, so to speak. It, it was my program to offer some stewardship to. And I just realized that respected programs around the country were hosting festivals, bringing guest artists onto campus, you know, creating networks for, for students to learn more about the music and have contacts, but also to bring high schools onto campus so that they could get to know who I am and what our aspirations here were on the Chapel Hill campus. So it was kind of a combination of, I, I want us to be noticed and I want to get to know people. And I felt it was a good thing for the students. You know, they I knew I had benefited as a student from having jazz festivals and, you know, getting to rub shoulders with guest artists of such skill and high repute that I certainly wanted to create that for my students here. Looking back on those 40 years, who are some of the musicians that you were able to bring to Chapel Hill as part of this festival? Oh my goodness, it's an amazing list and, and I, I, I'm probably remiss in, in already saying I wish I'd have kept a little notebook of, of every guest artist we've had, but we had Clark Terry, who may not be a household name, but among jazz circles, he's legendary. He died just about a year ago. He was in his early 90s, but he sort of represented the history of jazz. He had played with Duke Ellington. He had played with Count Basie. And in the late 90s, we had Clark in residence here for an entire week. It was just magical. Magical for me. I got to drive him around in the car. So I would have all this music that I had sort of prepared that I just wanted to get his reaction to. And so we'd drive and at that time it was a cassette player. I hit the cassette and it would be Duke Ellington and I'd just wait and sure enough about a minute later he'd start talking about the music that was being played. And it was just so insightful. It was the type of insight you can't get from a textbook. You can only get from somebody who was there, traveling day in and day out with the group, and knew those personalities so individually. So that's that's one hallmark. But, oh my goodness, Slide Hampton, one of the great trombonists and one of the great arrangers. Yvonne Renta in uh, 2011 brought in a Latin tenor saxophonist, which we had never done before, and he kind of ushered in some new music to our program. And just the list goes on and on. Has this festival always drawn top performers, or does this come from more humble beginnings with the first few festivals being much more modest? Yes, very much so. It's a, it's a great question. It's kind of fun to try to remember those things. I've really never had a budget for this. Each year, I kind of create a budget by writing letters and talking to people and, and so on and so forth. But that first year, I really didn't know anybody on campus to and didn't know what the campus would do as far as resources. So I went to friends that I knew that were professional musicians and great educators, and I I said, I've just got a little bit of money, probably generate a little bit from registration of high schools. I can pay you $500. Probably can come up with money for your airfare, you know, that sort of thing. And you might have to stay at my house. (laughs) 
so on and so forth. And that's kind of how the first probably three or four years went. They were people I knew, former teachers of mine, so on and so forth. And it was just great. And then all of a sudden the interest came from the high schools. They began to write me letters in the fall. Are you still going to have that festival in the spring? And so I knew that we at least had a foothold going. And then gradually we were able to get some resources from the university flowing too. As a music professor and really just a fan of jazz in general, what do you want your students and the community to get out of this jazz festival? I think there's two things that should happen. There should be an outreach activity. We are the flagship university for the state of North Carolina. I feel like if I'm blessed to have any resources available, I want to try to see how far I can disseminate that influence of those resources. So the first thing is I always knew I wanted to have a high school jazz festival component. Saturday, high schools come with their buses and their kids and they get to play and they get to adjudicate. They get to have clinics. They might get to hear my band perform at the end of the day. And if they can afford to stay a little bit later, maybe hear an evening concert with the guest artist. Thousands and thousands of North Carolina high school students have really come to love jazz, I think, through our festival. I, I think ours is the, the largest and, and most visible within the state. And, you know, it, it has served the state quite well. And in fact, in the last couple of years, we're getting groups from D.C. And last year, we had a group from New Jersey. Usually, we have a group or two from Virginia. It's primarily a North Carolina festival, but it's starting to attract a little bit beyond. And if I can say one more thing, I guess about 12 years ago, we were approached by Jazz at Lincoln Center. And they have the premier jazz education program in the country called the Essentially Ellington High School Music Competition. This is Wynton Marcellus's sort of chief gift to uh, jazz education. And Lincoln Center provides music to thousands of programs free of charge. I don't know how they pay for all this. What a grant they must get. But they put in the hands of directors in Oklahoma, Chapel Hill, Alaska, scores of Duke Ellington music. And then these kids in their band room can practice this music. They can watch videos of the Lincoln Center group. And then they submit tapes. And 15 of these groups get invited to New York for this incredible weekend in May where they have this competition. And I must admit that last year, a North Carolina group came in second place, which makes me feel like part of our job has really worked. We've elevated the quality in jazz. So what Lincoln Center found out after a couple of years was that there's pockets of interest in jazz around the country, but not all regions are submitting to this. So UNC and Temple University in Philadelphia were the first two colleges approached to see if they would be willing to host regional essentially Ellington competitions. So I'm very proud of that, and we've done it now. This will be our 12th year of hosting that. So they send adjudicators down and when I think back of the type of music I heard in 1977, compared to what I'm hearing now, it's just night and day. And part of that is just great instructors across the state, but I'd like to feel like I've had something to do with raising the bar. You mentioned earlier that a driving factor to founding this jazz festival was giving your students the chance to rub shoulders with the musicians. So what about you? Was it something like this that got you interested in playing the trumpet? What made you want to pick up the instrument in the first place? 
I guess the first start for most of us is school music programs. I was a fourth grader growing up in Illinois, and I specifically remember the class got up and we were invited to go down. Could have been the cafeteria, might have been the band room. I really can't remember exactly the location, but the local music store had a display, and there were all the instruments out, and there were representatives there that could kind of show you this is a clarinet, this is a flute, this is a cornet, this is a saxophone, so on and so forth. And I remember that I was looking at this sort of shiny cornet, which is just a little brother to the trumpet, and the man said, well, you can go ahead and pick it up. You know, so that was the first thing. Oh, boy. So I got to pick it up, and he goes, you want to give it a try? And he kind of showed me how to sort of put my lips inside the mouthpiece. And so I took a big breath and blew, and out came a note. And I don't know if it was love at first sound, but I guess some 55 years later, I'm still playing, and this was what I've done with my life. But it was just magical. So from there on, I was in band at fifth grade called Cadet Band, and my fifth grade band director was a trumpeter, my middle school band director was a trumpeter, my high school band teacher was a trumpeter, so I think I just got in the fast lane. You know, as soon as I showed them that I was interested, I remember playing, you know, solos in fifth grade in front of the public, and seventh grade we had a little combo, and we this was in Peoria, Illinois, we had a little show uh, on the local television station called What's Your Hobby? <laughs> My little combo got to play on that show. So I would, you know, I guess I got the bug as early as about seventh grade. Then what got you interested in jazz? I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of music that you can play with the trumpet. That, well, that's another, that's another good question. Certain, certainly, I, I liked it all. And back in, in my day, there was a trumpeter from New Orleans named Al Hurt, who was very popular, kind of the Herb Alpert of his time. And Al primarily played Dixieland, New Orleans music but he also played classical music pretty well. And I remember my father took me to a live concert with Al Hurt when I was in sixth grade. I was just blown away by how well the person played. And I got a few record albums, but it probably wasn't until college when I was a freshman that, here's this name again, Clark Terry, was the first guest artist of that magnitude I had ever encountered. Here I am, I barely made the band as a freshman. I think I'm sitting last chair trumpet in the band, and I had a little eight-measure solo, and I remember taking it home and trying to figure out by memory, I'm going to play this tonight, which, of course, is not what you're supposed to do in jazz, but at that age, I just didn't want to mess up. I wanted to try to play a beautiful little solo that had a lot of intelligence to it, and I remember specifically at intermission walking backstage, and here was Mr. Terry sitting in a chair, and he points his finger at me and says, I hear you, baby. That was worth an extra hour a day of practice for the rest of my life. I mean, it was one of those moments where I kind of made up my mind, I want to be like him. I want to do what he's doing. Now, I've never reached the, the, quite the heights of, of a Clark Terry. Very few do. But that was the level of inspiration that I felt. And so that was certainly a catalyst for me saying, when I'm putting in a position now where I've got a leadership role as a teacher, I want to see if I can recreate that moment for some other students. Let's jump back into talking about the Carolina Jazz Festival and talk about what's going on at this year's event. Who do you have coming in to perform this year? Well, it's our 40th, so it's, it's special. We have a uh, saxophonist that I'm not all that familiar with. His name is Dana Stevens. I think he's probably in his late 30s. A brilliant player. I have listened to him perform, but one of my students, I said, who are you listening to today? Who would be a good artist in residence for the festival? And he gave me a list of three saxophonists. He said, all these guys are great. And they were. But this one that we chose, Dana Stevens, 
I noticed that, oh, he's, he's taught at the Stanford Summer Jazz Workshop. So I was seeing, hey, he's done some educational things. He was at the Thelonious Monk Institute in Los Angeles. He went to Berkeley College of Music. I've yet to meet him, but of course we've talked and emailed quite a bit, and he's just been so personable and delightful over the phone or on the internet that I think we're all going to enjoy him very much. And then I must say that I'm really excited about the fact that Marcus Roberts and his group is returning. I met Marcus here at Chapel Hill in 2005, and we've become really dear friends. I mean, we actually co-direct a major jazz festival in Savannah each year at the Savannah Music Festival. And Marcus is a blind pianist. He was Winton Marcellus's choice when Winton recorded and became sort of famous, a famous name in the early 1980s. Marcus has played concertos with the Berlin Philharmonic and, you know, worked with Seiji Ozawa. I mean, he's just an international genius of the music, but he is the most personable and prolific jazz educator that I've ever, ever been around. And we have just sort of become really good buddies as a result of our passion for trying to share the music. So he's going to bring his group and he's going to try his best to get here early enough on Thursday that he can come and hang out with us and maybe, you know, create some impromptu lessons with the students. And I'm very excited about it. And we got about 300 high school kids coming in on Saturday, too. So you've been to 39 of these festivals and pretty soon it'll be 40. What's your favorite part of these festivals? Why do you keep hosting it year after year? Well, I like the fact that you can witness it through the lens of a student sitting there listening to a lecture or seeing a high school band being adjudicated by, you know, a professional that's flown in from New York City and has worked at Jazz at Lincoln Center. I like the fact that a student can just say, oh, uh, let's go hear Marcus Roberts, and they're not exactly sure what they're going to do, and they're going to hear in that concert, you know, somebody that's going to go back to all the way back to New Orleans with their music and then play something that's very hip and contemporary sounding, and most of these events are free except for, I think, two concerts, the Marcus Roberts concert and the we use the, the UNC Jazz Band concert as a scholarship benefit concert and charge $10, so we're bringing world-class jazz Chapel Hill for relatively inexpensive weekend. So it just, I guess it's just the eclectic nature of it that uh, we're celebrating jazz and performance. We're celebrating it in the classroom, but we're also celebrating, you know, a couple years ago, one of the guest artists, I said, well, I'll come by your motel and pick you up on Sunday morning to take you back to the airport. I got a call about 5 a.m. He says, Jim, I never left the music building. The students and I have been here all night. Just come by the music building and pick me up. I just don't know if that happens in that many different styles of music like it does in jazz. There's something about the give it back, and I think we fostered a good attitude of that. To learn more about the upcoming Carolina Jazz Festival, visit music.unc.edu slash jazzfest. And don't forget to check back to unc.edu next week for another episode of Well Said.